Borag Thong Earthlets. My name is Conrad alongside my friend Jason. This is the second episode of Space Spinner Reaction, a podcast where two Americans try to make sense of the UK's own gal of the, oh my God, I gotta start over again. Try to make sense of the UK's <laughs> own classic comic action, three issues at a time. This, this episode, we're covering action for March 1976, issues four through six. This, um, this time, it's Shark vs. Squid in Hookjaw, Hellman goes to Dunkirk, Dredger meets his match, and at least one person gets punched in the face in every single story. All right. <laughs> there is a fair amount of face punching. Good and amount. Yeah. There's a, I think there's escalations all around in a lot of these stories over the first three that we uh, went over. I'm kind of excited to get into some of these. Yeah, we're definitely getting into, into uh, you know, trying to find, uh, like, the status quo of, of some of these stories. And then other ones we're trying to sort of shuffle off into the next uh, to the next story or something like that. <laughs> right. Fair enough. Yeah. yeah, even more action in action. Hey, we got to keep this action up. Otherwise, we aren't living up to the mandate that our na- that the comic's name um, aspires us to, you know, or something. <laughs> Anyhow, let's get started with story one, Dredger. <laughs> Always a great way to kick these off. Yeah. Uh, so writer for Dredger's Kelvin Gosnell. Okay, so we start with a uh, a high flying spy plane, uh, commie spy plane is shot down over the Yugoslavian coast. Only someone special could recover it before the Russians do. Someone like Dredger. <laughs> so Dredger's not one of the pilots in the first part of this, right? He's the he's no. sent out. Okay, yeah, they just send them I was, out. I mean, Dredger does everything else. I don't know. I I didn't doubt that he might be in one of these jets. You know, just hey, they let him do all sorts of stuff. So. I don't want to. Yeah, I don't want to make any bold claims about Dredger not being able to fly like a fighter jet. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Um, but I think this one's just sort of one of the, like a random, just like random, uh, dudes in an aircraft carrier somewhere in, in, in the Mediterranean, you know? I think this one's also cool because it's like this, they have an RPV, so high tech, this remote yeah. piloted vehicle. Definitely. Yeah. So th- three days later, Dredger and Breed are arriving at the crash site in this huge truck or Breed is as Dredger sleeps in the back. They meet with some rebels that fought for the Brits in World War II and start heading up into the hills. But Dredger attacks Igor, one of the newer rebels. Oh, they got a history because they knew each other in Africa where Igor worked for the Russians. I mean, I guess when you're the rebels, you got to take them wherever you can find them. I guess it's not exactly like a thorough vetting process for new recruits. So. Yeah, like, you know, at this point, like uh, like Rebel LinkedIn is barely, it's just the uh, the glimmer in someone's mind's eye. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, so I, don't, I just want to know who vouched for this guy. You know, that guy's in the back of the crowd looking awful sheepish. Yeah, like, uh-oh. Oh, <laughs> I'm in trouble now. Uh, Dredger tries to get him to talk by smushing his head with the wheels of the truck they're driving, but Breed calls him off. Suddenly, the, though, the Russians are coming, and it's car chase time! <laughs> Dredger shoots some guys off the roof of the truck. And, um, and, and, and then Dredger and Igor show down until they go through a low bridge and Igor gets hit by it fatally. Not just hit by it fatally. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that his head is separated from his body yeah. by this girder that seems to be taller than his head actually is, but it severs his head clean. I, I love this panel. It's so high much. quality, high quality <laughs> due decapitation driving through like Yugoslavian bridge work and stuff. And <laughs> 
the heads coming away from the body still screaming. It's it's yeah. so choice. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Dredger drops the second trailer of their truck out on the chasing Russians, which smushes them, and then they get to the spy plane. It'll be an international incident, but then again, it always is an international incident with Dredger. (laughs) (laughs) But he didn't call Dredger dirty in this one, did he? That's true. Yeah, they're... They're they're moving a, a little bit away from like the literal like dirty hairy stuff with Dredger and just like just literally saying oh yeah he's dirty more they're sort of saying like oh yeah like things always go crazy with Dredger you know is there just like a little bit of respect breeding within breed here for <laughs> for Dredger like a little Ooh. bit of camaraderie. I, I don't know if this is the seed, yeah. but I, I want to follow this one. Definitely. Yeah, I think there's, like, at the very least, like, Breed's moving into that, but he gets results section of the cop on the edge, right? Like, right, right. <laughs> He's starting to get sold on the potential a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> and it's fun. Next one, we open up with the personnel files of Breed and Dredger, and Dredger's is, like, hilariously blank. There's There's no first name. There's no birth date. There's no nothing. Also, but but he served in the military. You're telling me that like they somehow don't have or lost this information because he went to Africa. Yeah, like they just toss his files out. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you go, you go to Africa, you're dead to me. I, oh, he's back. Crap, we have to rebuild all the information that we lost. I, right, like, hey, we'd like to hire you. Can you give us like some information? He's like, no. <laughs> just <doesn't, laughs> he doesn't want that office birthday card. You know, it's tough. <laughs> you know the di6 respects that they're like yeah. oh yeah you want to keep some secrets we get that yeah, yeah we're secret we're secret guys we'll, we'll get it going um <laughs> all right <laughs> so the uh this time they're they're driving again this time they're, they're taking a terrorist ringleader marcel caniff north from marseille when they stop like a gypsy wagon i guess or well, like like a Romany wagon or something to get directions, but it's actually Caniff's men in disguise. <laughs> yeah, I was curious about that. Do they like approach the wagon? Because that makes for that's such a weird ambush to be like, oh, they'll have to stop for directions, and the only people that'll be around will be us. Yeah, it'll be us <laughs> in our in our horse drawn carriage. They'll sure to be sure to question us. Um, <laughs> but I mean, you know, counterpoint. I guess there's no arguing with success because they definitely do manage to launch an ambush, but it doesn't work because Dredger just guns them all down. <laughs> Although yes, it looks like. He fired three bullets at. I, I mean, if I'm gonna make sense of this, I'm yeah. pretty sure his his pistol fires three bullets at a time in a spread shot. Yeah, he's got that. He got that upgrade in contra, you know. So he's got that. He's got it all going on. That's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, sure that's how, where the contra gets it from. They're just yeah, it on right. Exactly. Yeah, they they it's it's a straight ripoff. Like, oh yeah, that guy. Um, unfortunately, the car takes a shotgun blast, so it's disabled, and it'll have to walk. They move into a swamp full of Conniff's men, but Dredger's able to just keep gunning them down. So eventually the uh, the goons have to start a fire to try to smoke them out. In a swamp. You know, you wouldn't think it'd be that flammable, but I don't know how swamps work in France. <laughs> See, look at, we're like, every panel, we're looking at water everywhere. Yeah. Everyone's wading through it, slowing everything down, but also fire everywhere, and seems to be working yeah i guess they, the fact that they're on an island yeah they must have like brought some doritos to use as, as a as a kindling or something <laughs> i guess <laughs> just making fire trails across the water to this island they're on I, yeah 
Or maybe it's the smoke. I mean, like, they do they do make reference to smoking. Yeah, I'd out, say so. it'd be pretty smoky at the very least. Unfortunately, this fire spooks some nearby wild horses. Dredger jumps on one and does some fancy horseback riding to ambush goons aboard a swamp glider. <laughs> he he then takes them out the rest of them out with judo and rides off but not before dredger does a burnout on the swamp glider to chop the remaining goons to death the back propeller it's awesome we also, we also learn that every goon dies saying Aye. that's what they teach at goon school you know right, <laughs> how so do identify like yourself it. yeah kind of yeah. Oh, sorry. There's multiple instances just here alone. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, so we we learn at the end that Akanif is going to prison, but Dredger is still on the loose. <laughs> and also that they apparently call themselves terrorists. So the rebels call themselves rebels, as opposed to like some whatever, however they yeah, freedom it. fighters or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Terrorists call themselves terrorists. They're just yeah, we're just out to to scare people. Well, yeah, out. because I feel like especially like in like Western Europe or you know whatever, these guys in France, they're much more sort of a James Bond like working for like supervillains kind of jobs than like having sort of an ethos. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I want to see how these things get funded. Right, cover that in an episode of Dredger, a, or maybe like a side, like just call it side comic breed. Where he dives into the deep details that are not like actually interesting as far as an action perspective, but like satisfy curiosities like my own. You know, it's a fun it's a fun period where there's just a just a lot of chance for sort of international crime that I feel like you don't of of a of a freelance international crime that you don't get as much these days. You know what I mean? It's a different day in the seventies. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we are in a borderless world with the internet and everything now. That's, so you know, right. I guess we're funny, yeah. Yeah, different setup. So there's been attacks in NATO bases in Turkey and Russian bases in the Black Sea. Ministers from the UK and Russia are meeting in the Anatolian mountains to figure it all out. Uh, uh, Breed is just standing there as Dredger fights a sniper, finds a sniper on the cliffside, but it turns out he's the bodyguard of the Russian minister. He's Markov, the Russian Dredger. Almost takes Dredger, too. It was yeah, an apt description. Definitely. Yeah, the ministers joust around a bit, but it seems the attacks were by a terrorist group called the Iron Commandos. And Dredger reveals that they've stolen a Harrier jet. Uh, so and Bre- Breed threatens to shoot him. Yeah, he says, like, oh, you betrayed state secrets and stuff, so he's going to take, he's going to shoot Dredger for it. But it, Actually, it's, it's not even a threat. It's just a statement of fact. Yeah. I'm going to shoot you. <laughs> it's crazy. But it's all then moot because the Harrier reveals itself attacking the summit armed with powerful Soviet rockets. This whole thing was a ploy to take down the uh, U.S. and Russian minister guys. Uh, British? Yeah, I think, yeah, it's all, you know, all these British, it's one of these things about British comics, I feel like, where it's always England that's the real, we, that's the pivot that all these things turn on, as opposed to, I guess, in American comics, where it's the US that would be doing all this stuff. Right. Uh, always the hero and the victim. It's, yeah, uh, it's good times. So good Dredger, time. yeah, Dredger and Markov grab their respective shooting irons and try to shoot down the jet, but it's no good and Markov is hit. <laughs> Dredger takes Markov's AK-47 and shoots the mountain behind the jet, causing an avalanche and destroying it. And so, in the end, it's kind of a wash, but Dredger honors Markov by burying him in the snow. Maybe he does have some honor when it comes to fellow tough secret agents, at least. <laughs> I Dredger had to admit, finally, that his Magnum could not bring something down. It yeah. took a fighter jet. <laughs> Yeah. 
it's that's good. That's the great part. It took until everything else has been fine. It took until the fighter yeah. jet for him to be like, ah, oh, crap, not my Magnum. Right. Yeah. It's when okay. you. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like when you're trying to do a uh, do a pistol only run of a video game, and you get to the point where like, all right, I guess I got to use the rocket launcher for this one fight or whatever. And even then, he's just like, ah, machine gun's fine. Yeah. I got a mountain. I'll leave it behind with this dead guy. It's not. I'm, I'm not changing my arsenal. Anyhow. <laughs> Next time, Dredger stars in Motorway Murder. As opposed to all of the Motorway Murder that wasn't called that so far. I feel like we've had it like this issue, this episode of uh, Alone, we've had two Motorway Murders in uh, in Dredger's storylines, you know? Yeah, there's been a lot of vehicular combat. Definitely. <laughs> Yeah, and and speaking of having to get someplace quickly and vehicular combat, it's <laughs> Story 2, Helmet of Hammer Force. My favorite, not favorite series. It's weird. It remains weird. <laughs> May 1940, we're back with the Blitzkrieg nearing Dunkirk. Helmet and Hammer Force are on their way when they see some abandoned English trucks, and Helmet twigs is an ambush and outflanks those dang Brits. Uh, a few miles later, some Scots lay a mine and hide it under one of those uh, Scottish bonnets with, like, the little uh, uh, puffball on the top. Yeah, as far as, like, covering tech, like, not a branch or some leaves, there's forests all around. The thing that clearly signifies that an enemy is present is what you use to hide the last I mine. I mean, they were in a rush. <laughs> you know, they had to do something. Sometimes you just got to put your hat on it, you know? Um, <laughs> I see what you did there. I like yeah. it. <laughs> So, and and while, uh, you know, evil SS Commissar Kastner orders Hammer First forward, Hellman tries to warn them, but it's too late, and the tank's tread is blasted off. So, Hellman grabs, like, a bayonet and a red shirt uh, crewman and starts walking the road looking for more mines and runs into another ambush. Under the Scottish machine gun, the red shirt dies, but Hellman's able to take it out using a recovered mine like a grenade. And so, when a final Scott tries to bayonet Hellman, he takes him out with a thrown uh, bayonet, t- taking that that Scott prisoner with a road clear. Hammer forces back on the road to the sea. That was so great. Yeah, bayonet against bayonet. Yeah. Just but, take oh, it but down. I can throw mine, so yeah, I win. <laughs> <laughs> just a lot of knife fighting, improvised grenade throwing, fun. Uh, Crazy action. So Hellman's rolling into Dunkirk. They'll plant the hammer standard on the sand until they're forced to halt a mile from the sea because that damn Kostner or Kastner wants SS tanks to have the honor. Hellman says nuts to that. His tanks are stopped, but he isn't. He, uh, he grabs the standard and walks to the beach as one last groups of Tommies is being sea lifted. Kostner shows up and blows up their boat. And Hellman saves out to save, swims out to save the, the lone survivor. Costner demands that Helmet let this guy be shot as well, but Hellman won't budge. Costner tries to kill them both when suddenly a Spitfire, which is of course a uh, an English uh, warplane, swoops in, strafing the tanks and killing all their crews. Hellman gets on a machine gun and shoots back, and he's winged, and the Tommy is killed by his own men. But eventually, he scares them off. The Hammer Force banner is raised. And I guess, like, Costner and all those SS dudes are dead? I don't know. Yeah. But, uh... <laughs> it's, it's so weird. Like, he risks his life to save the English dude. 
but then risks his life to save the Nazi tanks killing English dudes. He's just he's just all over the place, like save he's like saving a lot of trying to save everybody in the middle of this war, which is ma- makes him weird and sort of lose sight of what's important, it seems like. It's yeah, it's real interesting. I'm really surprised that uh, Costner didn't just shoot him like bothered ordering anyone, didn't just yeah, immediately like, gun him down. <clears throat> I think it's an interesting thing too to remove this character that's been sort of the uh, the bad guy. I, I imagine we'll get a new SS guy at some point too, but we'll see. <laughs> yeah, there, I mean, there's every other Nazi out there, and yeah. the helmet seems to be upset with all of that's them. So, right. I, absolutely, yeah. Luck, but uh, so now the Blitzkrieg is over, but the war has just begun, and we move to a Hellman now moving south to invade Greece as English-led Greek partisans continue to lay ambushes. A lot of ambushes this 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 episode. For, uh, for for Hellman this to be time. Fair, I mean, yeah. how else do you take out a tank? I guess. I mean, yeah, it's reasonable. You want to take them head on, right? No. Um, <laughs> this time they've got some explosives to cause an avalanche. As always, Hellman sees the avalanche coming and uh, stops the force to check it out on foot with another red shirt. This time <laughs> they're the caught. Every time. He's, he's slowly, yeah, slowly. It's just going to be Hellman driving all these tanks. And he keeps bringing. No, tanks. but he even calls out that this guy is new. Like he's like just. They acknowledge that they're just hiring on new red shirts to go with Hellman to die while he does stuff. <laughs> I mean, yeah, the rest of the crew stays back, and then there's just like one coffin tank that's got all the suicide uh, troops in it. You know, right? Exactly. <laughs> he's got the people he cares for, and then he's got red shirts to just lead out on patrol and be it's- like. Cool, totally. you'll take a mine or a bullet for me so I can save everybody. Yeah. This time they, they climb up and they're caught and taken prisoner, but Hellman knows the Greeks are greedy, I guess. And oh. which is just real rough here. And so he causes a distraction by throwing his silver iron cross on the ground, distracting the Greek troops, and grabs a submachine gun, but he's too late. Or is he? Hellman uses reflected light from that cross. To signal the eyes, like like basically to direct the light into the eyes of, of of one of his tank commanders to stop him using like Morse code to warn them of the of the rocks. <laughs> yeah, I mean that was one hell of a message he flashed out. But then again, yeah. I guess these guys know Hellman's style. Right. Yeah, they're so. ready for it. You got to be up on your Morse code when you're when you're going with Hellman because he's going to signal you at some point. Um, <laughs> maybe it was just more like. Hellman signal this at all must be an ambush. Everybody pull out. Yeah, definitely. So the, the cliffside comes down, but the tanks are largely undamaged. Hellman has his panzers climb the rubble of the now destroyed pass and gun down the would be ambushers. Maybe Hellman will win another silver cross. Hmm. <laughs> Anyhow, <laughs> next time Hellman goes into action in a British tank. What? Uh, Clearly inferior, though. How is he going to get anything done? I mean, you know, presumably he'll have some more British red shirts to handle his business or something. (laughs) And also, like, considering the way the Hammer Force has been used before, I didn't see the climbing coming. I thought they were just going to somehow, like, push all these rocks out of the way. That it was just going to be like, ah, you can't stop a Hammer Force with a barrier. Or, but... The climbing was pretty badass. That was yeah. cool. No, good use of these of, of these panzers doing uh, crazy tank stuff. I think that's really neat. Um, yeah, and just yeah, just generally, you know, like the war action in 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 Hellman's very interesting. It remains rough that he's like this weird German guy. Although I feel like in the final story when when we when he wasn't like um, opposed by an SS guy, I kind of like that story a little better just because it makes let it, it's it's less of a big deal that he's like this good german guy you know 
it yeah. just becomes just a regular war story instead of like, ooh, I'm so good or, or, or something like that. You know what I mean? That's true, actually. And that last story, like him and the like, his his opinion of the Greeks notwithstanding, him and the British commanders seem to actually treat each other in much the same manner. Like the British are just as reluctant to just murder people. Yeah as opposed to trying to take out their high-powered machinery, as he has shown. So I guess there's some implication that there's a shared honor as far as like what the normal soldier sees, that if you mm-hmm. take the Nazis out of the equation, like neither side is really evil. Yeah. <clears throat> Could be. It's hard when it's Nazis, though. That, that remains the problem with that one. <laughs> yeah, no getting around that one, for sure. Yeah. And uh, speaking of uh, terrible stereotypes, I guess it's <laughs> story three, Blackjack. So uh, Jack Barron, the boxer known as Blackjack, is going blind. He's going to fight the British Championship, but the doctor who diagnosed him as going blind is the f- is the is the fight doctor for the fight, and he'll never let Blackjack fight unless Jack uses trickery. Jason, ooh, you mean uh, honesty? The thing he hasn't been using anywhere else. I mean, it's the kind of it's the kind of way that you uh, trick somebody by telling them the, the truth at an opportune moment, you know. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so basically, Baron tells the truth that uh, Goodwell, the doctor, is his doctor. He's examined him, and uh, that makes um, him that makes the doctor seem partial. And so the British champs manager demands a new doctor. It works, and soon it's time to fight. So I. I, one second, I want to pause here one second, yeah. because Blackjack is celebrating that, uh, celebrating with Yank about, mm-hmm. like, this clever maneuver of telling them that the Doctor was his, mm-hmm. and we, we talked about this in the first three episodes about everyone, like, him being reluctant because everybody would stop him, and then everybody just being like, oh, sure, you can do that. Yank's response is, good thinking, Blackjack, gee, who says yeah. boxers are stupid, and then the transition is just so as if even the writer's like, oh my god, that was. Fuck well, it. Like, you we're know, just, we're just embracing it at this point. Yeah, like, yeah. Yank, <laughs> Yank's gone from uh, from having his doubts to being full on enabler at this point. Like he made that quick that that, that change like that that. <laughs> I think it, yeah, within th- like in within two panels of yeah within three panels of like Yank being desperately like careful about his health to okay i guess we'll do it to just full-on like enthusiasm like <laughs> yeah get <laughs> out a, there <laughs> backhanded compliment good job that's you, right you boxer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah so the fight begins uh blackjack's fighting this guy steelman who's the british champion he comes out too fast for him the uh too fast for the champ to hit him to slow him down steelman headbutts blackjack stunning him Blackjack comes out swinging and quickly kicks the crap out of Steelman. Steelman goes down, and it seems like Blackjack has won. But then the ref raises Steelman's hand. What's happened? Also, it looked like somebody threw water into the ring that Blackjack slipped on. That was fine. Mm, yeah. uh, the headbutt, that was fine. Uh, Blackjack knocks him out. Ah, wait a minute. Something's wrong. Yeah, yeah. Because the ref is saying that Blackjack rabbit punched uh, Steelman, which is a punch to the back of the neck. Blackjack didn't, but it's no good arguing it from where, because I, I guess the ref's word stands. There's no video replays or anything. Um, but that means that his chances of, you know, fighting the champion again or like, you know, making his move to be world champ are, are done in England to advance his boxing dreams. Jack will have to head to America. 
Yeah, because we'll take anybody here. I don't care what you cheated at. I mean, it's not the case nowadays, I feel like, but in this case, it seems like Blackjack's <laughs> basically able to just get on a boat and like be a British citizen ma- making money on fights in America, whatever. <laughs> no, no, no. This comic will, is going to firmly establish that America loves cheaters. Let's see. Oh, that, I mean, that's fair. It's true. I guess this is why he doesn't talk about getting a visa or anything. But uh, aboard the, uh, the, the Queen Elizabeth II uh, sailing ship, Blackjack is a uh, has sold everything he owns for a ticket and spends his whole time like working out around the ship, like running laps and um, lifting weights and blah, blah, blah. Um, eventually, though, he meets Charles W. Bowinter, a gambler from Atlanta. A, a real <laughs> name. Bowinter. Like, <laughs> but it's a name that's neither based on the color of his skin nor his nationality. I mean, unless you want to do like a winter white joke. I, Ooh, Maybe. But I think it's more just that he's got like this kind of, you know, the the name with the middle initial and then the uh and then the multi-syllable name that's very like stereotypically uh southern southern rich guy, I guess. And he's he's like definitely got the Colonel Sanders like Oh yeah, yeah, he's... yeah they've really played that <laughs> yeah. part up as well. Yeah. He invites Blackjack to play a game of Blackjack. <laughs> and uh when they drive it home, they make yeah. sure that you understand that it's, this game should suit you, boy. It's <laughs> Blackjack. Yeah. He quickly cleans Blackjack out. Oh, no, he's lost all of his money. But Baron is suspicious. He checks Bo Winter's room and sees that he's using a special die and contact lenses to mark the cards. Blackjack then heads back to Bo Winter and bets his contract against $15,000. A huge amount in 1976, not yeah, a bad amount in 2018. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'd still take that deal today. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but Blackjack has changed the cards to foil Bow Winter and wins the bet. Um, now he has enough money to bring Yank and Solly over to America with him. But as he goes with his, uh, with, with his fair gotten gains, he's accosted by a pair of Bow Winter's thugs with knives. Blades in the dark. Whoa! Oh man, he's making his engagement roll. Um, so <laughs> it's uh, it's it's fist first blades and blackjack's fists win easily. But Winter comes out, calls Jack the N word, and Jack swiftly tosses him off the side of the ship. Which fair enough. Um, <laughs> I just feel like there's some like interesting mix, like the idea of like being tossed off the ship and. the like slaves jumping off the ship to avoid slavery with him throwing Whoa. it. I mean, there's just some, I don't know, it just feels like some interesting stuff going heavy, on here. About heavy the- possible <laughs> symbolism here. Yeah. <laughs> Except but, for this one, they stop and rescue him. Yeah, that's, that is the big difference. Uh, the next day, Baron wires Solly and Yank, who presumably fly over and reunite in New York City. They then have to work through promoter Bill Yancey, who sets a bill up with who sets up a fight with Jelly Al Hayes, who's a big tub of guts. <laughs> and we go back to just characteristic names. But I guess this is a boxer, so that's the Yeah, I mean like <laughs> boxers are gonna have like nicknames that sort of define them. That's like what the deal with boxers is, I guess. But it's one of these things where now we're back to like uh, Mike Tyson's punch out or whatever, where where Jet where Blackjack has to work his way up from the, from the bottom with the with the American glass Joe or whatever. Um, 
So, on the night of the fight, uh, Jelly Al is fighting just to stay up, and once the crowd gets bored, Jack comes out with a quick combination that takes Al down and infuriates Yancey, who I guess wanted a, lo- a longer fight or something? I don't know. Well, it seems it's like not, the implication yeah. was that it was Jack was doing more to keep up Jelly Al than Jelly Al was. Yeah. But <laughs> it seems weird that Yancey's so pissed that, like, um, Blackjack's won, or, I guess. I don't know. I mean, maybe it's like that, you know, like the over-under nowadays, right? Or like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes you, sense. You wanna, you're looking forward to go a certain way. Like, I'm guessing nobody's betting on Jelly Al lasting six rounds on yeah, it's average. Yeah, he's got the word Jelly in his name, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah, no one seems to think that he can box. He just yeah. kind of, they just stand him up in front of people. So right. it's it's more a matter of, like, how long before a boxer gets impatient and knocks him out. <laughs> yeah. And anyhow, y- Yancey's having a tough fight anyhow because... We learned that the opponent for a top fighter, Kid Hector, hasn't shown up that night. But Blackjack offers to fight a second time to build his reputation and be a real cool dude. He's got to fight by his own rules. And so we learn. And so next time, can Blackjack make ring history by winning two fights in one night? I love this last panel because Sally and Yank are showing concern for Blackjack. <laughs> But it's not because of him going blind. It's like, you might be too tired to win. Yeah. This is, <laughs> this is where they find they're like, wait, you can't do this. Not because you're going to permanently lose your sight. Nah. But you might not win this if you do yeah. that. You only box tonight. Listen, <laughs> Solly and Yank have their eyes on the prize. You know, like that's the answer. They got to, you know, they got to ride this horse until it, in, until it collapses. You know, they, yeah, then they so just got to find another boxer. A- Whatever. Yeah. It's a hard yeah, life. So Jack doesn't have his eyes on anything. Oh, he's damn. Blind. Oh, damn. All right. Well, I said it. Yeah, that's tough. I got to say. And speaking of uh, fighting of, of, of uh, fighting until you drop, it's the story for Play Till You Drop. Yeah. <laughs> Writer for Play Till You Drop, Ron Carpenter. Artist, uh, B- B- Barry Mitchell. Yeah. <laughs> So we go, so we meet up with Alex Shaw, Rampton City striker. He's being blackmailed by journalist Vernon Grice. We start with Alec trying desperately to win a game for a bonus to earn more money, but the goalkeeper's really good, blocking several attempts and making, and Alec is making mistakes, like he's getting caught, caught offside. He's tackling the goalie. He gets a yellow card. The team loses and the manager is thinking of sidelining Alec unless he can get his game together. Yeah, freaking try hard. Seriously. <laughs> um, things are going bad, especially when Grice shows up for his blackmail payment, and Alec punches him in the face. Ooh. About time. You'll pay for that. <laughs> I I don't... Yeah. Well, I mean, he'll literally pay for it, I suppose, considering the, the premise of this. But, like, yeah. why was it that his first... I mean, I'm... I, this is just my general frustrations with Alec. I'm sorry. I'll carry yeah, on. Yeah, <laughs> no. We talked about this last time, too. Yeah, he just seems really nervous about his dad being a cheater or something, which is is tough. <laughs> which is every comic is just driven home and just like, yeah, this guy is dead and won multiple championships. Yeah. Let's, let's t- talk about Alec now. Like, yeah. Every single comic starts with like mentioning that his dad is dead and is a champion. Yeah. Yeah, so it's weird that he wouldn't be more confident about, like, you know, how, re- or at least ask see more, more proof of it, or, like, do some investigating about it on the side or something. Hey, um, it's literally written into the setting. Yeah. If we know it, I mean, to this degree, you'd think his son would get it, but. Indeed. Yeah. Here we have Alec. <laughs> yeah, next up, Alec is trying to set the world record for heading a soccer ball for advertising money. He ends up heading it into a rowdy onlooker when he gets to, like, 80 heads. 
Um, but his agent is pissed that Alec is off the first team of the Rampton City of of Rampton City, and uh, so is Grice. Alec is being replaced by this guy Mick Raynor or Rainer, but Grice isn't worried about it. At practice, Shaw and Rainer go after each other hard, but there's no ill feelings. Um, Mick heads out to his fancy new car, which he bought with the money from being on the first team now. But the car... Yeah, seriously. Then the car immediately crashes into a wall! Also, why was he pointed at a wall? Like, it just, he didn't get very far. If you no, like, it. yeah, you can walk from where he, like, from the parking lot to where his car crashed. It happened immediately. But, uh, <laughs> Rainer's out and Alec is back in, in the game, and he's in the game against Liverpool. Alec plays like crazy and he wins the game. But afterwards, I, oh, but you're going to try hard that didn't try too hard? I don't. Yeah, it gets like a. Th- 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 this time his try-hard ways were enough to earn the hat trick or whatever. Um, <laughs> afterwards, the, t- um, the team is visited by a detective, and they learn that Mick Rainer's car was tampered with. Ooh, that evil Grice! Wouldn't this be a good time to implicate Grice? You know, yeah, you really... It's like <laughs> The cops are here, and they're wanting to find the person. You think you know exactly who did it, and the reason you know is because of the illegal activity this person is. Yeah, like at some point you got to at least like broach the concept of like immunity or something like that. You know, <laughs> like what what can we do to, to deal here? You know, but has Alec done anything illegal at this point? He's gone no. and tried to find every avenue to make money legally. Yeah. He so what? Why? Why is he not talking? He's worried to about him? his dad, man. He's got a lot of self. He's got a lot of dad doubts, I guess. I mean, <laughs> Grice say implicating anybody from prison? I don't know. Maybe maybe yeah. they're just open out. I, they can just he yeah, can you'd continue think, his reporting career from prison. Yeah, you'd <laughs> think that like at, at the very least his reporting would lose some credibility once he's um arrested for like assault by um for damaging this car, but whatever. Um yeah. at the next game, it looks like the team has put two and two together and uh are freezing Alec out of the game, blaming him for what happened to Rayner. They yeah, they won't pass to him, and the team is suffering because of it. Alec ends up having to steal the ball from his own teammates to score. Which is going to endear him, surely. Oh, yes. see how this is going to repair things. They're going to love that. There's also a dude in the crowd of this game that's clearly based on, like, the stock photo of Steve McManus from, like, the uh, from the editorial section and stuff of this comic. I didn't even notice, but you're just, oh my god, it's, it's dead like, on, you're yeah, right. It's literally like like a copy of it, and that's make, and that makes me wonder if there aren't more members of the production team in these crowd shots. I, I bet there are. Um, it's I just even a different art style. Yeah, it's no. It, like this. It, yeah, it, it's, it's so it stands out. <laughs> I feel so blind. I feel so oh, no. That's great. <laughs> Alec gets fouled by his own teammate, and they barely win 3-2, to two, when it could have been a runaway! Um... Alec, I mean, yeah, like they could have won like th- like three zero or something like that, you know. But is that like did you get a bonus for that? I mean, it seems like I I I, <laughs> I wish I knew more. Of, I should probably look like try to figure it out. But I, I the, oh, yeah. it seems like there's some elements of like you you can get money by by winning certain amounts and certainly helps your standings in like the on the league table or whatever else. Yeah, it's just such a like it seems like they have such a complicated pay scheme for. Yeah, football here. It's definitely sounds fast. I kind of want to see it all laid out on the table or something. Yeah, it seems maybe I can get Breed to like explain (laughs) British soccer to me and like have it all laid out. The stuff he'd be into. It seems much (laughs) more of like a uh, of of like an hourly like 
kind of soccer, like a sports payment scheme than the salary that I'm used to in uh, like American sports, I guess. Yeah. I think I've been like spoiled by like modern basketball (laughs) salaries. Yeah. Like here it is for five years, like whatever else. I think again, I mean, basketball, so that salary is broken up on a per game basis because when guys mm. get suspended they lose that money like, uh, interesting so yeah maybe it's not so different and like, they got like per game incentives or something or maybe like season incentives but you got to pick up those get to those incentive as, as you can mm. yeah no there's performance incentives and all. Yeah. Yeah, so, well, i gotta try to check it out hard. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh speaking of uh fabulous prizes that you could possibly earn jason it's non-thrills or non-stories covers editorial action man and money man this is my favorite part. It's this good. Is what I read every yeah. week. So, issue four, you can win a sailing dinghy and a contest in this neat blackjack cover. When he hits you, you stay hit. <laughs> this issue starts with Steve with Steve McManus, the uh, the assistant editor for Action, asking for more letters. Uh, the money man is headed to Brighton, and um, they add more stipulations to the money man thing where you got to like have a new copy of Action. It's only within a certain couple hours and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> this guy's trying to live a life, you know. Uh, we also get uh, the first twit of the week, which is seems to be this thing where they nom where kids nominate people they're annoyed with. This time it's TV quiz show host Bamber Gascoigne, I think, who hoist, who hosted the show University Challenge for like fifteen years. Mid- Chester Forks gorgeous grin. I, I don't under, like. I don't get a lot of these Twitter of the weeks. I feel like they're very like 19, they're very of that like two weeks ago, nineteen seventy six. You know. <laughs> yeah, I, it's like there's multiple references to his smile, but is there something wrong with it, or is this like come? Compliments. I'm really I, confused. I can't. Uh, this, yeah. this for this episode, this issue. <laughs> I cannot tell. It's very complicated. <laughs> um, Mid issue, we get more parts of the Magnum Force board game. This time, featuring a dude with a sassy mustache and bell bottoms, and a bunch of bullets and bullet hole tokens and stuff. I cannot wait. I, I'm so excited for this game. We gotta get it out. We gotta play this. We gotta play this we Magnum have. Force. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's gonna be great i yeah, can tell i'm super stoked later there's a contest to win a sailboat or 100 pounds or a commando tv set or some sports radio the problem is that um in the scans that we have of these issues of action to me it's very hard to read what the details for all of it are um mm-hmm. so it's hard to tell we finish up with an interview with a junior angling champ some trivia questions and a cool plane model for under a quid also soccer tips the uh, the back cover has Steve McManus, the action man, doing an army obstacle course in camouflage with a rifle and stuff. And then Action Mouse is this mouse refing a soccer game, and he flips the coin. But the coin toss so high that it lands above the panel border, and he's got to like knock it down to like get the results, which I thought was kind of funny. Yeah, once again, this mouse exhibits these extraordinary powers. He flips a coin above reality. That's right. Yeah, and, and then recovers it. <laughs> Just. I- this it, mouse is incredible. It's good. He's <laughs> the action mouse, buddy. <laughs> issue, issue five, it's Death Rattle. They fought like heroes, and that's how they died in a crazy coffin sub cover. <laughs> this week, Steve McMahon is upside down, and the money ma- man is chucking money about in bath. <laughs> Mid-issue, there's more Magnum Force. The very Clint Eastwood-looking purple CIA guy. <laughs> 
There's a, uh, a first-person interview with Andre Kursop, a hopeful for the 1980s Olympic team in swimming. He didn't make it. Uh, and uh, Nick Parsons, another quiz show host, is Twitter of the Week for being such an awful smoothie with the five O's. Um, right. I, the ladies, I guess? That's my guess. I don't know. There's football tips. This time for a goalie punching the ball clear. Later, there are more close-up pictures. No all questions. A super loud cycle siren for under a quid. Also, we see some possible letters, though they're, you know, obviously fakes because it's all like funny names, like Hookjaw's brother and stuff. Um, <laughs> the comic ends with Steve doing his latest stunt, going up to the top, going, going up to the top of a fully extended fire truck ladder high above the nearby buildings. And honestly, it looks pretty neat. Like he's like 10 stories up or something. Yeah. So it seems like this one, I think that it, this marks the place where he starts doing like reader suggested ones like seems like mm. others before he talked about the editor sending them out yeah you know, like, and now they're starting to be more like <coughs> like reader suggested that we get this a shot so who knows where these will lead in comparison i mean this one's pretty Indeed. cool but i more power to steve i could i don't <laughs> think i could be the one to do that that's uh I'm starting to believe in the Action Man hype. All right. There's also Action Mouse, this time investigating a mummy's tomb, but he gets gets crushed by rocks, so now he looks like a mummy. Whoa! <laughs> Slight tap brings down this entire structure. Once again, super yes. strength. Super strength. Yep. <laughs> He's got a suite <laughs> of powers. <laughs> So, uh, issue six, it's rough, it's tough, it's action. We got a trio cover here with Hooker, with Hookjaw, Dredger, and Hellman. Uh, there are good guys, bad guys, and Hellman. So yeah, listen, even they are, here's the acknowledgement, like, we don't know where (laughs) Hellman, this nebulous, like, is he good, is he bad? No, he's Hellman, I don't. I like that Hookjaw's a good, a good guy, that's pretty awesome. Well, we always knew that yeah. the Hookjaw was the protagonist of that story. That's like that, that, sure. that we're saying it, you know? Um, <laughs> inside, Steve is laying on a bed of nails. Money Man is in Colchester from 10 to 11 a.m. Leave him alone after 11. Oh, and the twit of the week is Russell Harty, a TV presenter of arts programs and chat shows. Um, and again, man, I just love the lack of explanation or background for Twitter of the Week. They don't let you know who they are. They just assume that you know who they are, you know? Yeah, I I, I would love to know more about, like, who this person is and why they suck, at least as far as little boys are concerned, I guess. Yeah, but yeah, like 42 years later, it's just lost a time. <laughs> 42 years later in America, it's just hard to know. <laughs> right. <laughs> So mid-comic, there's a chess set for under a quid, random questions for Noel, Steve doing a full preview for like the second half of the comic, as well as... the first time they've done that, right? Yeah, it's it's weird to... Yeah, but it's weird to have it like midway through when it's like, all right, here's the rest of the comic. Um, Yeah. yeah. Um, I was just uh, confused about that one. Yeah, it... It, it is cool. Though. I like when the when the editor kind of directs traffic for what's going on in the in the issue and stuff. Um, we also, uh, yeah, part of the preview is an announcement saying uh, "lay off the fags" line, which is which means cigarettes, but it's still pretty funny. Uh, <laughs> fags will kill you. Yes, we get yet another piece of Magnum Force this time, including a green member of Geppo, which I don't know what that is. I looked up Geppo and I didn't get anything. Uh, this comic ends with more soccer tips, a youth basketball star, an action mouth mouse accidentally shooting himself instead of an arrow at the big archery contest. 
weird bending of reality and I, I love this mouse. Avoid but actually, <laughs> yeah. Um, he he hit really a bullseye with himself, you know? It's good. That's true, yeah. <laughs> I, also, this is the first time we get uh, text bubbles with the mouse. Mm. Every no, time yeah. before this... Every time before this has just been silent, right? Like right, just... right? Or things have shown up, like when he shot those birds, and then right. like, the birds like formed into the shape of like mists or whatever. <laughs> but this time we're in the head of the mouse. Like we got the the text bubbles, like as he's as he's narrating yes. his thoughts throughout this process. So enter the really mouse. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also really starting to like these little blurbs from the various like uh, sports. The kids, I mean, it's, it's really in line with kind of the overall theme where, you know, uh, sports players are superheroes, but like highlighting the kids in that context is kind of like, I think, I don't know, it seems like a really cool, empowering thing that yeah. gives other kids like this aspiration of like, you know, look, we can do this. And you're getting this message from the kids doing the interviews and just being like, hey, get out there and try things. You might find out like something that you're really great at and play for your country. And yeah, <laughs> I, think, I, I think it's an interesting thing that they're told for. Uh, from the first person, you know, as sort of being like, I'm this kid doing this, you know, that I think is, is, is an interesting concept for sure. But, uh, speaking of the real hero of this comic, uh, Jason, <laughs> it's <laughs> Story 5 Hookjaw. Uh, writer for Hookjaw, Pat Mills, artist Roman Sola. It's 1973, Jason. The North Caribbean. We're setting up an oil rig for known jerk Red McNally, as always. It's time for a diver to check out the oil pipeline. But, you know, serious question. What about Hookjaw and the other sharks investing this area? Um, and the answer <laughs> is, duh. Like, we'll lower a bait diver on the other side of the rig to distract him. You know, it'll be fine. You worry too much. That sounds um, like a McNally plan if there ever was. Seriously. <laughs> the, uh, the, the job begins when suddenly a pregnant great white shark swims by and then a whole bunch of, of baby great whites are following behind her. They slip through the cage the decoy divers in and eat them alive. Yeah, it's how amazing. Long, how long do they leave them down here? This person that's supposed to give the signal and get pulled up immediately if something happens. Just, I mean, uh, well, they either, they either leave them down it. there or those baby great whites are ravenous because they pull the cage up and it's just an oxygen tank and a ton of gore. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the sharks start to frenzy as Hookjaw himself goes after our buddy Mason inside the pipeline, just tail slapping and chewing his way into it. Only Mason's welding torch keeps the monster at bay, especially once Mason uses all of like his oxygen tank to turn into a flamethrower. It's actually pretty cool. Yeah, it's neat, man. It's good underwater flame. I like that a lot. Um, he barely escapes, and he punches McNally right in the face because of it. <laughs> but, but the truce between Hookjaw and uh, wow, just read his Mason? name. Mason, Mason, thank you. It's off. Like, what happened? They were buddies. Hookjaw always spared Mason before. And nah, I, Hookjaw's in a new, in a strange new place, you know? Maybe, maybe like, now that his kids are, are in the action, if, assuming that those great white sharks, those great white babies are, are Hookjaw's kids, now he's got a whole different uh, perspective, uh, you know? Like fatherhood. Yeah, fatherhood yeah. changed him, you know? He's getting rid of all of his friends, and, uh, <laughs> no, well, I don't know. You gotta be responsible. Stop running with those, those crazy, you know, yeah, like hammerheads and stuff. And... It's ridiculous. Right. Yeah. Right. And yeah, suddenly an oil gasket blows. 
Mason and uh, uh, a Mason and a redshirt basically have to go underwater to fix it. McNally plans to drop blood in the water as they go, so that Hookjaw will finally eat that Mason guy. And hey, man, you just got buckets of blood lying around, like for for murder purposes. Anyhow, why not? Yeah, fair enough. Anyhow, once they're under, um, the other diver gets attacked by a giant squid. What part of the ocean is this? It's just full of thousands of sharks and now giant murder squids too. It pecks him. It pecks this guy in the stomach and liquefies his intestines. Gross. And now we see why there's still oil out there that other people haven't tapped. Seriously. Everyone else had the common sense to not go to Murderland. Yeah. Like, like, listen, there's a lot of oil in like the murder sea. There's also a lot of murder in the murder sea. It's tough. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Mason tries to fight the squid when Hookjaw shows up, and Hookjaw and the squid fight. Old Jaw tags the squid in the brain with his hook. It's awesome. How far out is this hook? I swear it's positioned like first it was hurt like in his lip, but now it's he's what rearranged it so it's a spear out of his chest. Yeah, it's kind of coming out of with? it's kind of coming out of like the bottom of his jaw, I guess. But yeah, it is kind of he's got like a murder goatee basically. <laughs> Like, like Hookjaw did some, like, personal surgery to make this hook even more... Because it used yeah. to be a curved hook, right? And now it's just Something. a straight spear? Yeah, it's changed a lot. It's changed a little bit, I think. But so Mason can't reach the valve, and suddenly a huge explosion rips through the rig. Men are catching fire and jumping off the side of the, of the, of the rig into the mouth, into the mouth of Hookjaw. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> the, uh, the rig is on fire. We've got to stop it before we're all burned or eaten alive or both. Yeah, it seems to be a lot of both so far. Seriously. The rig burns and dudes are getting eaten by sharks. There's this, like, Prog 6, it starts with this amazing image of all these guys, like, die, burning and being eaten and stuff. Um, they're piling into this helicopter to escape, but it's weighted down too much. Hookjaw jumps from the sea, grabs the tail of the helicopter, and pulls it down into the ocean. Some, some great planning from the shark. Not, not content to just grab one of the guys dangling. He no, he wants the whole, damn he wants the whole thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. They're setting charges to blow up the fire, literally fighting fire with fire, I guess. Yeah, I was really it, confused on that part. I was yeah. wondering if you could explain I, how blowing up the rig was going to stop the fire. I mean, maybe like the ex- like like when the TNT goes off, there'll be like this like expansion of air that will like put the fire out. But I don't know. I don't know how. I don't know how. I only know how how TNT works in movies. I don't know how it works in real life. You know. Yeah. <laughs> or I mean, and it, then when you it, filter it, that back through into these comics, it could be, it could do anything basically. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's just it was thrown out there as an explanation, like everyone would understand it, and like. But no, this is something yeah. that British boys in the seventies understood that I don't today. Like, listen, there's a fire <laughs> on the oil rig. The only answer is to blow it up. Um, the problem is that the heat from the fire sets the TNT off too soon. Um, Hallie <laughs> McNally gets knocked out and knocked off the side of the rig. Mason swims to save him, but Hookjaw's after them. The jaws, no, the jaws. <laughs> but the beast misses them, blinded by all the oil in the water. Back at the rig, Mason says it's time to pack it in, but McNally says, nuts! He's calling in the Coast Guard to depth charge the whole area to take out Hookjaw once and for all. Next time, Hookjaw has a special reason for revenge. 
they just see that even in the 70s, people know that they can just buy off uh, American government institutions. Yeah. I mean, you know, 1976, I feel like the Coast Guard will depth charge a lot of sharks just for fun. You know, we don't have our modern <laughs> modern concept of it, you know? Oh, yeah, that's just a Tuesday night, my bad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> also, Hookshot, once again, friends? Are they with I mean, Mason? No, I feel like his call that he got blinded by the oil seems reasonable. <laughs> like, I mean, but come on. Could be. I mean, okay. Yeah, no, fair. They got some, they got some history. I, is is Hookjaw being like, hey, my bad about the pipe times? You can take away the, the other guy this time, but... Yeah. yeah, maybe he was trying to just kill McNally and Mason didn't realize it. Ooh, right. he's doing Mason one of those... Jumping. Yeah, he's doing one of those things in the movie where the guy looks like he's going to shoot you, but he's actually shooting the guy that's coming up behind you. Yeah. Right, yeah. Mason <laughs> messed it all up. Also, why? Why would Mason save this murdering, like, horrible... Like, someone that makes the shark's body count look reasonable. And is active, has actively him? plotted to kill him, like, at least twice? You know, yeah, not it's, even tried to hide it. Yeah. Like, he's just, just tried. <laughs> it's uh, it's the brotherhood of man, man. You know, just because someone's real bad doesn't mean they're not your brother. And that takes us to story six: sports knots for losers. <laughs> that's a good one. Uh, that's pretty good. That's great. <laughs> writer Steve McManus, artist Dudley Wynn. So Dan Walker is an um, he's an injured hurdler. So he's gonna get his layup brother to do the hurdling for him. Uh, they've joined a fancy running club, but Len, with his smoking and general flakiness, isn't fitting in, and he's not keeping good technique and falling during a race. After practice, Len is once again attacked by some young punks. And once again, only a timely interruption from Dan allows Len to literally hurdle his way to safety. <laughs> Some great cane action to save the... Definitely. To save Lane. And yeah. I actually really appreciate that. <laughs> Later at the qualifier for the county championships, Len manages to win by learning the lessons in balance that he got from his near beating. He's won, <laughs> but now he has to train twice as hard. Flippin' Nora! <laughs> Getting tied up and beaten taught him proper hurdling technique. I love it. It's good. You know, you gotta you gotta learn from where you're giving the lessons. I guess um, we're we're at the county finals, and Len is up this up against this dude named Flash, who was a jerk. Um, first, he calls Len a f- uh, he he calls Len for a fake false start so that Len is slow off the blocks, nervous about getting called again, and then he knocks a hurdle, and then Flash knocks a hurdle into Len's path, knocking him down. Len comes in second, uh, c- sorry, comes in second in this heat, but it's probably enough to get him to the final, but there's some time between now and then, so Len goes to play some pinball, I guess, which <laughs> how, seems like a very long track meet, but whatever. Um, on the street, Len finds a box of grapefruits and grabs them to sell, like, secondhand at the market, I guess? I don't know how England works, uh, but... <laughs> Anyhow, a cop stops him and arrests him for stealing grapefruits. The well, I, I, sure, yeah. This yeah. whole sequence of panel, this this just five panel series. It's awesome because I... <laughs> the, the cop goes to do some business, leaving Len alone in the back seat of the uh, police car with the grapefruits, and Len then destroys the evidence by eating them, seeds, peels, and all in the span of five minutes, which is possibly the greatest athletic achievement I've ever seen. 
I think you mean supposed grapefruits. I see no evidence. That's fair. I'm just going to say that, like, it takes me, like, 15 minutes to eat, like, the inside of one grapefruit. <laughs> I, I couldn't even get through an entire grapefruit, so... Like, those things I, are big, man. Like, Jesus. <laughs> I am in awe. Um, but now it's time to race. <laughs> and for the greatest understatement of the year, yeah. I don't feel too good, man. Yeah, he's got... He's got um, yeah, he, it's time to race. He's probably got enough acid in his gut to turn Jack Nicholson into the Joker from the first Batman movie. <laughs> <laughs> or that dude in RoboCop, one way or another. <laughs> the the race starts and Len is coming on strong despite his stomach. But when Flash accidentally hits him in the gut, he's had it. He pushes hard and he wins. And like everyone else this week, he punches his opponent in the face afterwards. <laughs> Len Somebody go, was in a face punching yeah. mood back at action. This Definitely, week. <laughs> yeah. We're like, listen, like it's 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 issue five. Only blackjacks punch people in the face so far. We need to increase face punching eightfold. <laughs> 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 yeah. So Len goes and pukes, and the boys return home where their dad is kicking Len out for stealing because the cop told on him. <laughs> what a wonderful reward for the first time apparently in Len's life. He's applying himself, doing a thing that his dad has wanted his boys to do their yep. entire lives. And reward, his reward out the door. <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> yeah. so Dan goes. Yeah. Dan, Dan goes with Len. His dad doesn't believe, but Dan will make a Len a sprinter yet. So the Walker boys end up at a disused railway station to live in. It's all been smashed up by Len and his buddies like a week ago. <laughs> they end up in an old railway car and begin heavy training on the rail tracks, working on Len's pacing and blah, blah, blah. But Len's, Len's lungs are all messed up from his smoking, despite Dan's constant pleads to quit. In town, Lencia's girl, Renee, spending time with a sailor. Boo! I know! Let's challenge them to a foot race! Oh, it's this underground foot racing track circuit opening up again. It's um, so good. Yeah. I, it's just the national pastime here, apparently. Yeah. Like, just got a, here. They've got underground foot racing. Yeah, just immediately <laughs> the whole boat organizes for this foot race. Um, the Navy guys agree. They head to the ship. The first to do 10 laps around wins, but it's a mile race, and Len might have not have the lung power for it. The... As they run, though, the Navy guy starts jeering, and or the guys start jeering, and Renee joins in, giving Len the... Pa- the anger to power through and win the race. Renee kisses and him, and he's going to celebrate with a king-sized fag. This <laughs> is just sorry. there's so many. Oh man! Yes, but, well, uh, fags are dangerous to your health. Indeed, sorry, everybody. This yes. just uh, this just how we are. Uh, yeah. And Dan will have to go back to the drawing board to get <laughs> Len to quit. Oh man! Yes, yeah, so this was all an elaborate plot from Dan to get yeah. his brother to lose so that what he could. He'd have a to like, get him to quit. Yeah, exactly. He's like trying to trying to give him an object lesson, but Len Walker's just too much of a badass sprinter to uh, be held down by such things, you know. And Len was also dumped by his girlfriend for a sailor. And the next day, as she is mocking him in the race, mm-hmm. he uses that motivation to win. And then it's just like, yeah, girl's back on my arm. Everything's great. This is yeah. He ran so fast, he's got his girl back. That's my move. 
The same <laughs> the same person that was mocking him not not even two minutes before. Like right this is like right before the end, right? Like she's talking about how great it is being with this sailor now. Yeah. <clears throat> and how she sucks. These dames, man, you know, they're fickle. That's why you got to keep winning these underground foot races. <laughs> it's a hell of a relationship. Indeed. Yeah, next time on Sports Not for Losers, Len gets a chance to go to university. Yes, you did read that right. <laughs> ridiculous. Um, and speaking of ridiculous, I suppose, and just from previous things, just setting up coffin subs for people, it's Story 7 Coffin Sub. I'm gathering myself for this. I can do this. Indeed. Uh, writer Ron Carpenter, artist the Gioletti Agency. So, you know, Lieutenant Commander Mark Kane, he's the captain of Submarine Conquest. He's back at it after the first, his first time when all but him of his crew were killed. Now he's got a new crew, and he's clearly haunted by his past, yada, yada, yada. Um, the crew's getting tired of all these suicide missions they're going on as a nearby battleship is destroyed by Italian frogmen planting limpet mines. Oh, these frogmen. The Conquest is able to destroy the, the frogmen's launch and take one Italian. of them prisoner. Yeah, these eye ties. It's real, like, rough. Um, these Italian French? Uh... Oh, man. Whoa, yeah, it's a multi, it's multinational. Um, the, the, the ship they were on was too small to be out on its own. And we learned that it came with a freighter with a destroyer escort. But the Conquest only has one torpedo left, and the destroyers picked up on them. They take out the freighter, but are hit by the destroyer's depth charges. The ship rocks, and crewman Barton accuses Kane of trying to kill them all. Kane punches him in the face, which uh, m- meets uh, Coffin's sub's quota for this week, <laughs> or this episode, <laughs> and then turns to the real problem, which is that the conquest is, fl- is wedged into the ocean floor. They'll have to use the frogman's gear to swim out and free the ship, but the only one certified for that is Kane himself. He's got to leave his men trapped in a bad situation all over again. This time, though, he manages to free them, and the day is saved. Barton applies for a transfer, and Kane has experienced leaving his men behind twice. I mean, but the reason they got into this predicament is because he once again put them into the situation they got his last crew trapped. Mm-hmm. Listen, Kane's his own worst enemy when it comes to not, like, triggering his PTSD, you know? Like a guy... It's like a, like a guy that's like just going to all these fireworks shows. Like, dude, you know that's going to freak you out. What are you doing? Uh, yeah, this is the worst kind of Groundhog Day experience, I seriously. gotta say. Yeah. So the coffin sub is on patrol when some crappy Italian planes fly by. Kane personally shoots them down with a Conquest's deck gun. Later, the Conquest spawns an enemy convoy, but these ships are high in the water, and Kane's not wasting torpedoes on a decoy! The sub waits on the ocean floor as crewman Jordan creeps people out with tales of Kane's dead crew, and a ghostly voice appears on the loudspeaker haunting Kane. Kane runs to his cabin and sees that his mic has just been used, and though it does in fact freak out the crew, later the real convoy comes through, ships full of tiger tanks. Kane gets on the gun and orders Jordan arrested, but Jordan has apparently gone sub-crazy because he's threatening Kane and the whole sub with a grenade. Happening real fast here. Kane guns him down, and the conquest blows the hell out of the convoy. It turns out Jordan was an enemy agent, 
all along doing a fake ghost voice. He was sabotaging. He was like trying to do sabotage, but Kane is still haunted by his own crew. Never forget it. First of all, why did the intercom thing not occur to anyone else on the crew? Surely yeah. they know how the intercom works. No, Second it's just all, a spoopy ghost. <laughs> how did this person get onto the crew? This is, it hasn't been in any previous issue. He's just been lying in wait, I guess. Just It's just suddenly on the crew and like has enough respect amongst people to spread this tale and also apparently knows enough about Kane to spread this tale despite being... I mean, yeah, he's been waiting in deep cover until he like got some message to say now is the time to put Operation Ghostly Freakouts into effect. I feel like there's a lot of like more direct ways to sabotage a sub if that's your mission and you've managed to get onto a crew. Like that's a super fair point. Yeah, like Like, it's it's, psychological warfare isn't really like the most uh, effective. Yeah, it seems like there's just like a. a, a dial you could throw that would just really mess the, the, the sub up. I mean, like, they're basically like, just tin cans with torpedoes stretched, strapped onto at this point, yeah. you know? Every, every issue, everyone lives in fear of one thing, any one thing going wrong, which yeah. is why every one of these missions is so fraught, is because it's so easy, apparently, for them to die. And <laughs> his, his plan was creep people out over the intercom. That's okay. the answer, yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> totally. So now the the conquest is ferrying commandos to Sardinia when a couple of them start brawling in the ship hold and Canis to knock their heads together like coconuts to keep them together. Um, the men go ashore and suddenly gunfire breaks out and a flare goes up. The commandos in the conquest have been spotted, but Kane can't leave these men behind. Not again. They take out the shore battery, a shore battery by torpedoing the hillside beneath it as Kane rows a boat himself to shore to pick the commandos up. It's actually pretty cool, that whole sequence. Yeah, it's a say. good thing. Yeah, like, gets- it's my favorite moment so far in Coffin Sub. Definitely. He gets <laughs> off the boat and like flanks some Germans and takes out a machine gun nest and the rest of the commandos pile back into the boat and escape. And it turns out that the whole thing was a decoy from a mission from an actual attack mission in Sicily, and that's why they spent, sent a bunch of, like, jerk commandos that didn't get along, and the coffin sub. Even the brass knows they're all expendable! And this is where Kane finally plants his flag, pla- his flag and says, I don't want to take my crew on suicide missions. Wait a minute. That's the only missions you've taken so far. Yeah. Why are you suddenly, like, all of a sudden now it's not cool? Well, like, maybe it was you cool. Didn't think of it. It was cool when, like, he was going on the suicide missions, and he just thought he was pulling one over on people. But now they know he's volunteering for suicide missions, and just assigning them to him, like, that's, like, a bridge too far, you know? Like, part of me wants to be happy because it's showing some sort of, like, I don't know, growth in Kane as far as, like, wanting to care or have, you know... I don't know why you do anything yeah. but just murder everyone. Right. But at the same time, it's just like you've given no signs of this growth until this point, And just all of a sudden he's flipped a switch. Right. I, come on. Yeah, <laughs> it's weird for sure. <clears throat> and speaking of uh, people with murderous intentions, Jason, it's story eight, the running man, uh, <laughs> writer, Steve McManus, artist, Lalia. So yeah, man, Mike Carter, he's a British distance runner. Um, he's been given plastic surgery to look like mob killer Vito Scarlatti. Uh, Vito's dad, Don Scarlatti, is dispatching his top killer, Crazy Luigi, to take Mike down. 
<laughs> we, it's pretty it's awesome. Name. Yeah, yeah. No, we that's see, the best color name. We see Crazy Luigi packing up, including taking a very nice hatchet. Meanwhile, Mike is in Chicago trying to hop a train hobo style. He gets off and heads for a pool hall, and it turns out that Mike is actually an amazing pool player, I guess. Um, at least until somebody hits the lights to distract him and he loses. Um, the man of million talents. Indeed. A fight breaks out, but Mike is overwhelmed, and it's t- it turns out that he was gambling with money that he didn't have, which, as I know from the movie Kingpin, means that uh, the people you're gambling with then have a right to like kick the shit out of you and possibly kill you uh, for that. Um, the pool sharks tie Mike spread eagle on the top of the now gigantic pool table and begin to prepare to beat him to death. Um, kind of interesting. They are like they seem well. I, I, I'm guessing this isn't the first time they've done it because they definitely have a procedure had... and a set set of of like what everyone's going to do when this situation comes up. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, it's incredible teamwork. Like they they get this set up in in no time with all the things in place, like yeah. rope straps, like all the stuff they need. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of impressed by the organization they have. Yeah, here. they just had they just had like a meeting one day. And said, all right, like if this happens, like Johnny, you take the right arm. Like Mike, you take the left arm. Like well, <laughs> you know, uh, Doris is going to hand out the pool cue. It's going to be great. <laughs> so now, now face down on the pool table, things are getting rough when suddenly Big Chuck, the slaughterhouse boss, shows up and saves Mike. Nice. But why? I don't know, man. Chuck's is a good guy. Chuck offers okay. Mike a job to help him pay his way to San Francisco. And Mike spends a few days working at Slaughterhouse 3, which is, of course, a Kurt Vonnegut reference. Mm. Mm. But uh, yes, yeah, unstuck in time. But after a few days, a couple cars pull up, and it's those pool hall guys again. And if they want to play rough, then Big Chuck can oblige. He hands Mike a a stun gun in quotes. It seems like a regular gun. That's what I'm saying. Doesn't seem like it just shoots people. <laughs> yeah, they uh, they start taking out goons in this darkened slaughterhouse. It's basically that they're kind of Batmaning them, like just kind of like you know isolating them in different places and taking one down, and so sort they're of slowly reducing their numbers. As the fight heats up, though, with even more face punching, Mike finally falls in a hot water vat for cleaning carcasses. Not a boiling water vat, just a hot water vat. Just hot water, yeah. Yeah. The goon tries to drown him, but Mike pulls him in, pulls him in the water too, and drowns the goon in turn. I'm starting to wonder about his life bef- in in before coming to America. Yeah, like, he's a, he's a pool shark. Water. Comfortable yeah. with murder, comfortable in the sh- <clears throat> working in a slaughterhouse. <laughs> you know? Yeah, like he's, yeah, he's drowning this guy. He's like comfortable in a fist fight. He's won multiple fist fights. He's comfortable shooting a gun. It's like, like I mean, we talked about the underground, you know, foot racing leagues in in, mm. in Britain, but I'm starting to think that like they're a little more hardcore than I had originally given them credit for. Like yeah. Len's on the low end of this. Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, Len's just sort of a, is a new recruit and a petty thug, but Mike is like traveling internationally with it. He's like a big wheel, you know, God knows what, what darkness he's, he's put underneath his shoes, you know? Uh, he's like the racing equivalent of a mob boss. Like, yeah. I, I mean, he's like the crazy Luigi equivalent. Maybe that's right. He's yeah. Like, he's the, he's the, he's the distance running crazy Luigi. Uh, Chuck is losing a knife fight when Mike crawls out of the vat. He's got to save his buddy. Meanwhile, Crazy Luigi is on the road to Chicago. Uh, Mike grabs a rope and swings over, saving Chuck as the cops show up. Uh, Mike and Chuck are quickly cleared, and I like the uh, the Americanism here. They say uh, Lieutenant, like with L-O-O, 
T E N A N T, as opposed to the, uh, the the normal spelling, which in Britain is uh, pronounced like Lieutenant. You know, yeah. Uh, Chuck can go, but they hold Mike because his face looks familiar to the cops. Knowing it's only a matter of time before they think he's Vito Scarlatti, Mike um, grabs the rafters of his cell to to fake that he's hanged himself. Um, and then when a cop comes in to check, he knocks him out, puts on a cop uniform, and tries to escape, and it goes real bad real fast. Just everybody's like, hey, wait a minute, like, you're not, like, Tommy the cop? Like, where's your name badge? What's going on here? You almost made it. Also, <laughs> do cops have name badges? Isn't it just sewed onto the uniform? Maybe it was different in the 70s, but... Yeah, something. <laughs> he just, he put on the, you know, I mean, the other guy recognized him by name, so you would think that there was some identifying mark on him, otherwise he wouldn't call yeah. him Garcia, I, right? I just love the idea that, like, you know, in pretty much every in pretty much every other comic I've read, like, putting on the cop's uniform instantly gets you through, you know? Yeah. But, um, Mike has... the movie last night. Yeah, but, like, Mike has tried this plan multiple times, and it has failed every time. It didn't work when he was a bus driver, it didn't, <laughs> it didn't work now, you know? He's not wearing big enough shades, I think is the real problem here. That's, that's also true, yes. Um, <laughs> so, Mike leaps out a window, lands in the police car park, steals a police motorcycle, and he's off! He blasts through a billboard and slides under a truck to lose the cops. He ditches the bike and uses the police radio to send them on a wild goose chase. And then he starts hitchhiking. Fifty minutes later, he's got no luck until he's picked up by Crazy Luigi. Oh, I can't wait to watch the showdown between the British and American Crazy Luigi. I'm pretty excited <laughs> for this Luigi match. All right. <laughs> and hey, with so, oh, good. Uh, I just uh, just over these course of the comics. One of the other things I noticed is he's a good at a lot of things, but one thing that he seems to every time he jumps over something, why does he land on his back? Mm, exactly. When he jumps off the train, he lands on his back. Still outruns the cops, but like lands on his back. He jumps out of the police station. Lands in the parking lot. He lands on his back. Like, I... <laughs> is he like some pro wrestling training or something like that? Maybe you know. <laughs> Was he just like flipping off of everything and landing yeah. on his? Yeah. Oh man. He's doing it just so... a just a quarter flip every time. You know, <laughs> it looks real unimpressive. <laughs> it makes so much sense to me based on everything else we've learned about this this character so far. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And with that, Jason, man, we finished um, action issues four through six for March nineteen seventy six. Oh yeah, buddy. And All right. with that, the question remains, what were your top and bottom through? What were your top and bottom stories? So for me, the I mean, I know Hellman was my top choice before, but it's getting to a point where even even I'm getting like this is just so weird, the back and forth. I I see why they killed the Nazis off. It helps mm-hmm. some, but the character still doesn't make sense. What I am <laughs> What I am starting to love actually is uh, is the Running Man. Nice. Um, the the sequences in this are are, are 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 really fun. Like especially like the fights in the the slaughterhouse across the the uh, uh, issues five and six. Like mm-hmm. really dynamic and interesting. And like this character seems deeper than I think than I originally expected it seemed kind of weird just having this runner run across the country but he's actually a lot more capable he's got like a wider range of skill sets than i than i guess i had assumed without any knowledge and i'm really interested to see where this goes like i said i, I wasn't uh i wasn't joking when I, I said i was looking forward to the showdown between him yeah. and the other crazy Luigi. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm uh, I'm starting to have a lot more faith that he can hold his own, and I'm I'm really curious to see how that plays out. Nice. <clears throat> and then what's on the bottom for you this week? Uh, I it's it would be so easy to go to conference though, but I kind of want like I kind of have a little interest in what Kane does after this point. I mm-hmm. kind of thought that it ended in an interesting place where he cared a little more. So I think I'm going to have to just go right back to our friend Alec, who just continues to make boneheaded choice after boneheaded <laughs> choice. Like, play till you drop drives me absolutely insane from <laughs> trying to trying That's to make awesome. sense. Trying to make sense of his, his yeah. actions, I just uh, it just gets worse and worse, and he's basically becoming a, an accomplice to attempted a, a, a murder yeah. by like, getting, getting this information to himself. He, he's just digging in deeper. Yeah, <laughs> definitely, this is not a wise plan for sure. <laughs> How about you, Conrad? Oh man, <laughs> um, so for my bottom, um, I'm gonna say coffin sub. Man, I don't like that coffin sub. <laughs> I have no compunctions <laughs> about it. Um, That's totally fair. I'd say, um, yeah, uh, I'd say probably play till you drop my, my, might be my next bottom one, I guess, just because I feel like we're just kind of spinning our wheels a little bit. I, like, it feels like the story's in basically the same spot, you know, this, at the end of, the, of, of these issues as it was before, you know what I mean? Which is That's fine, but still sort of like, you know, I'd love to see, I mean, I, I guess we've seen Grice sort of show the level of, of crime he's willing to do, but, um, you know, I'm ready for the next. Yeah, I'm. I'm ready for some more stuff. I guess I don't know. I mean, part of the nature of these comics is is that they do kind of spin their wheels a little bit, but there feels like more movement in some of these other ones. Um, And for my top, um, I like the Running Man too, but I think my top's got to be Hookjaw again, man. (laughs) All right. I would have been sad if that hadn't been your choice. <laughs> this, um, I, I, I remain completely delighted by the adventures of this murder fish um, and the humans that seek to stop him, you know? <laughs> he was getting his meals pre-cooked this time. What, is, just, what a wild sequence of events. Just the opening, <laughs> the opening page of, um, of, 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 of Hookshaw in issue six of just this huge flaming oil derrick People on fire jumping off the side into the mouth of into the mouths of giant sharks is so amazing. <laughs> you know? Oh, there is one thing I wanted to uh, call out actually. Since you speaking of Hookshaw, I yeah. think it's issue five, the one with the giant squid. Yeah, there's some. Uh, I mean, this is obviously harder to convey over audio, but there was just some really cool stuff they did with the panel specifically in Hookshaw. Like they were different from the kind of normal grid view. Like they have all these like kind of like circular yeah. panels that like carve throughout like as they highlight the fight between the uh the squid and hookshaw and i just it, it produces really like interesting dynamic yeah that's kind of a evolution of events that i really enjoyed that uh i don't see it in a lot of their other panels and i don't even see it that much in like the hookshaw stories but through here like they do it throughout the whole the whole yeah like the piece. panels aren't aren't square they're sort of like um like they're, or, or they've got four sides, but yeah, like they have different angles and stuff that kind of like di- different rhombus shapes and sort of mm-hmm. they form like these kind of like circ, like half circles that sort of like, yeah, fill the page and stuff like that. Yeah, that's really neat. Actually, I, I didn't notice that, but that's a really good call and something that's definitely very unusual for, um, for these comics. It's in, uh, it, it's in like the other ones too, but they are, are a little bit more angular. Mm-hmm. But definitely but it creates some, yeah, it, it makes very, the, like, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no. I, I was just going to say that, yeah, it sort of, 
it like gives a different feel to the action, I think, than just sort of the regular squares. Mm-hmm. It also provides interesting space in certain panels because of the way that others have foreshortened themselves. It opens up other panels, which gives you like a different uh, space to create the art. And so, like, you get some cool like angles and depictions of art, like where with uh, uh, um, like the the way that the fight's going and the way they're swimming. You can see more of certain areas of the squid trying to tangle up and hold things because other panels have like kind of cut off where they're just focused in on specific actions and like specific parts of the fight and so i just really love kind of like the way it it draws the eye to these different sequences and creates like this this mixture of like chaos and action of like this it just makes the fight feel more frenetic and and i really love that yeah i think that's a that's a super observation dude i think that I, i i definitely agree like for sure i'll try to post some of this stuff on our um on on the space spinner social media stuff so hopefully folks can get a chance of like what's going on in Hookjaw that's making it look real cool for sure that would be cool yeah right yeah. on all right and i hope everybody enjoyed the show um feel free to contact us at space spinner 2000 at gmail.com on the 2080 forums or on our facebook instagram or twitter pages on twitter at space spinner 2k for everything else look up space spinner 2000 and we should be there uh come back next time as coffin sub sails into the sunset Hellman heads to Africa, an army of sharks arrives in Hookjaw, Mike Carter meets the dawn, and Treasure kills like a dozen dudes. <laughs> until then, yeah, until then, I'm Conrad, they're Jason, and we are Space Spinner 2000. Splendid for three. <laughs> <laughs>